the father, uh, his responsibility for leading the family and guiding the family, and, and we looked at uh, his specific role in the family. And what we started out the series uh, talking about is the same we're going to talk about this evening, is the reason why we want to look at godly families is it really all starts with a godly individual. If you look at it, the individual role as a self, as a person, that we want to be as godly as we possibly can, make sure that we're doing our responsibility, and that will yield strong godly families. When you have the strong godly families in a, in a congregation, you have strong congregations, which can be that light to the world that we're all called to be, that we can go and, and shepherd the community, and we can go help them, um, and ultimately bring other lost souls to Christ. So that's what we're talking about this evening, but this time on part two, we're going to be looking at the roles of the wife and of the mother of the family. And, you know, when, when we really think about that, we're going to talk about the different responsibilities for the woman uh, that they have. But this lesson is not just for them. This lesson is for all of us. We can all learn something from this. Uh, if you're a, a husband, um, what you should be looking at is how can you help encourage and support your wife so that she can be more godly? And what, you, what can you do to help guide her in that direction? If you're a young woman in the audience, you should be looking at this as how can you grow into this woman as, as you start looking at uh, becoming a wife and becoming a mother someday. Is these are the responsibilities that, that God expects you to grow into. And for the young men in the audience, what you want to be looking at is when you start to look for a spouse to get married, this is the kind of woman that you should desire to have in your life because it will change your life when you have a godly spouse and it will help you tremendously. So we're going to look at these different things. And, you know, when you think about uh, the woman of the family, what we're going to start out talking about is the virtuous woman. And we're going to go through Proverbs chapter 31 and break down a few segments of that. And we're going to refer back to it a few times as we continue our study this evening. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, let's go ahead and turn to the book of Proverbs chapter 31. And we're going to read verse 10 through 12 to start. Beginning in verse 10, it says, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. So she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. You know, one of the first things we see about the virtuous woman is that her husband trusts her. And why does the tr husband trust her? It's because she's earned it. She has earned that trust because she takes care of him. She, and he knows that she will always be there for good for, for him, that he needs her. If we look in Proverbs 31, go down to 13 through 19, it says, She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hand she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengthened her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night, and she layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold to the distaff. Now let's also go down and read 21 through 24. It says, She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry and clothing of silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land, and she maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchants. The second thing that we can look at the virtuous woman in these several verses we've looked at is she is a worker. And this lady is a worker. What she will do is she'll go out and do whatever it takes to take care of her family, and not only her family, but all those that are around her. And sometimes this working can either be inside or outside the home if needed. 
But she went out and she made fine linens and she sold it. She basically had her own business. She go out and she can fit, considers a field and she buys it so she can go and sow and reap and, and grow that. But all in all, this lady is a worker. The virtuous woman is, is willing to work to take care of her family. If you look at Proverbs chapter 31, verse 20. It says, She stretches out her hand to the poor, yea, she reaches forth her hands to the needy. The virtuous woman is also compassionate and she's charitable. She's willing to help those in need. And that's what the virtuous woman should strive for. If you look at verse 25 through 27, it says, Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in the time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the, is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Once again, she is a worker, but she also she's considered, uh, she is considerate to maintain a good character. Whatever she does is to make sure that other people look at her in the, in the right and proper light and that she's shining forth God's light in her life. And finally, if we look at verse 28 through 31, it says, Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised." Give her the fruit of her hands and let her, let her own works praise her in the gates. When we think about these, it's all these works that we look at, that she's trusted by her husband, that she's a worker, that she's considerate and compassionate, she takes care of others, she makes sure that she maintains a good character. We look at all these things, and in Proverbs, Solomon sums it up, says, by these things shall the virtuous woman be praised. You see, many women out in the world today, they want to be praised for their physical beauty, they want to be praised by the worldly gain or some sort of possessions or stature in the society. But God tells us that this is what we should be praising women for, is we should be praising women for taking care of their family, for taking care of their needy, making sure they maintain a good character. And this is what we should be doing. So for the men and the children and the audience, this is what you should praise your, the women in your lives for. So when we go down and we look at the role of the wife and the mother, we're going to start out with the role of the, of the wife and see what the Bible tells specifically specific duties for the wife so that she can maintain her part in this godly family. So the first thing we see is the wife must guide the home. If we look in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14, it says, I will therefore that the younger women marry and bear children and guide the house. Give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. When you look up that word guide the house in the theres, what it means is to rule a household and to manage family affairs. This teaches us that the wife has the responsibility over domestic matters of the home. And by doing that, she must also have the freedom to make those decisions in the realm of homemaking. So the husbands, we give the wife the freedom to go make, those, make the decisions that she needs to make to guide the home. When you look at this guide the home, it, it really does mean uh, to manage the household. And this can include feeding your family, clothing your family, managing finances, taking care of things that just need to be taken care of, being hospitable for guests, the list can go on and it's all wrapped up in guiding the home and making sure that it's taken care of. You know, I've seen some take this view to me and they'll look at a verse like this and they'll take the view to the extreme and say if anything is to be done in the house, it's to be done of, of the woman's own personal hands, like feeding the family. She has to make every meal of her own. And if you take that, then, then I don't know where you stop in that extreme because then you, you would think about clothing your family. Do you make all the clothes for your family or is it okay to go buy some? 
Um, so what it really means is when we look at that, the Thayer says it means to manage the household. It's, it's really just that. It's really to manage the family affairs. It doesn't mean you have to do it personally. It's okay to get help. And actually, getting help does not mean that you're not doing your responsibility. It actually means that you are doing your responsibility because you're making sure it's getting done. So for the women out there, it is okay to get help. It's okay to get help cleaning your house. It's okay to get help if you need help financially. It's okay to need help with feeding your family or clothing them. And it's sometimes that you're going to be the one called on to help others, and that's when it's your turn to step up and help others that need it as well. If you look over in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. What it talks about in Proverbs is building your house. This implies that you're continually improving it and you're guiding it appropriately. You know, when you build something, that takes a lot of thought and a lot of effort. If you think about literally building a house, there's a planning phase in that. There's a gathering of materials that you need, and there's a step-by-step manner to make sure you do it. And if you don't do it in, in the right way, you're going to have problems down the road. And this is what it talks about for the woman, that you're building your house, you're taking care of it, and you're considering the things that it needs. It also talks about in Titus chapter 2 that the woman is supposed to follow sound doctrine. Titus chapter 2 and in verse 1 it says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Now go down to verse 4. It says, talking about the older women, that they, te- they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. This is what the older women are supposed to teach the younger women. And, and in Titus, he talks about that this is sound doctrine. So let's break that down a little bit. What it really means to be sober is to have a sound mind. Love your husband means just that. You should love your husband. Love your children is the same thing. You should love your children. It also talks about to be discreet. That word discreet means to be self-controlled. To be chaste means to be modest. Be a keeper of the home is a good housekeeper that we just looked at. Good actually just means to be good. And obedient to your husband means to be under submission to your husband. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. So the book of Titus puts all these different characteristics into the realm of, of teaching sound doctrine for the older women to teach the younger women so that they may follow it. So all of that is wrapped up in that the wife must guide the home. And the second thing we're going to look at that the wife must do in her part of the family is she must submit to her husband. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 24, it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So this clearly teaches us that the the role for the wife is to be in submission to her husband and to let him take the lead and do what he needs to be doing. By being in submission to your husband, it also implies that you should have respect for your husband. And it teaches that in Ephesians 5, go down to verse 33. It says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife, see that she have reverence for her husband. So this teaches us that, that the wives have respect for her husband, and it's just the same as Christ, as Christians have respect for Christ. It's a submission role that Christ leads the church and that the husband leads the wife. Now this submission is to promote godliness. A lot of times society is going to tell you that submission is a bad thing, or that means you're weaker for some reason. And that's not what it means at all. This is to promote godliness, and we can see that in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. It says, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, 
They also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they, fear, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair and the wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husband, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. So this is what Peter was teaching the women, that this godliness that they go teach, that's, that they portray to their own husbands, could actually help their husbands follow after God better. It's an example that the husbands can see from their wives when they're in submission to them, that it reminds us we should also be in submission to Christ. And this is what we should be doing. And submission is not a bad thing, like society will teach you. In fact, all of us are called to be in submission of one another, every single one of us. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. All of us are called to be in subjection to each other, just as the wife is called to be in subjection to her husband. Now the third thing we'll look at of a characteristic that the wife must portray in the family, she must be encouraging. So this wife, she has a very special role to assist and encourage her husband and to be help for him. And that was her original purpose when she was created. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God talks about this. Genesis 2, verse 18, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make an help meet for him. And of course, we knew that help meet was Eve. And that's the same way it is today. The woman is a help meet for the husband. And it's a companion for them. And it's, this is because we have that need for companionship. We need that help. And that's what the woman supplies. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7 through 9, it says, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman was created for the man. So this adds that the woman was created for him and that a good wife fills a need within her husband that can't be met anywhere else. That this need that we have as men, we need that help meet. And God gave us that help meet with the woman. So for the woman, this is your responsibility to be the glory of the man and be the help meet for him, just as it was original purpose. Now by doing this, we have to make sure as, as the woman that you're not a contentious woman, as it talks about in Proverbs 21, verse 19. It says, For it's better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. I want you to think about what Solomon's talking about here. The wilderness is like out in the desert. There's nothing. Solomon says it's better to be cast out with nobody around, no resources, no food, no shelter. It's better to be all the way out there than to hang out with a contentious and angry woman. So as the woman, you have a great power. You have a great power to be an encouragement to your husband and be a help meet and fulfill these needs that nobody else can fulfill. You also have a great power to destruct your husband and to tear him down, just as it's talking about with this contentious and angry woman. We see an example of this in the book of Judges with Samson. If you think about Samson and Delilah, Samson was this great, strong, mighty man. Look at Judges 16, verse 16, and it says, And it came to pass when she pressed him, talking about Delilah, she pressed him daily with her words, and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. Samson was ready to die because basically Delilah was driving him crazy. And it was just driving him to the words with her that was driving him to death. 
with all of her words, and she was urging him, and she was continually going on and on and on. And this is the power that you have as women. You have the power to be an angry and contentious woman and drive your man's soul to death. And you also have the power to be an encouragement, to be a helpmeet, and to do the original purpose that you're called to do. And it's your choice. And God expects you to be that helpmeet that he's made you be. Now, if we shift gears a little bit and we talk about the mother duties of the family, uh, the first thing that we're going to look at as the, the role for the mother is to teach your children and, and really to train your children. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. When you think about the, the phrase, train up a child, this is really a diligent and planned effort. This is, think about what you want to be training towards. This is something that, that we're always working on. One thing that I've learned over time is that you want to begin with the end in mind. So I want you to think about the children that you want to raise. Think about when they're adults. What kind of adults do you want them to be in society? And train them to be that. Do you want them to be helpful to other people? Do you want them to be encouraging? Do you want them to be hospitable? Train those things. And then back, backtrack it to see what are the steps that you need to do in order for that training. You know, so many times we get so caught up in, in the busyness of life that we forget about the training element and we're just constantly doing the urgent and teaching element. We're correcting a lot, but are we really sitting down and we're we really planning out how we want to train up a child in the way he should go? Not just trying to make all these corrective actions. Now this training and this teaching should be constantly happening. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 9, it says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by thy way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them a sign upon thine heart, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. What it's talking about here in Deuteronomy is that we're using God's word to teach all the time. There's so many different uh, stories, there's so many different examples, so many different teachings that we have all in God's Word that we can use those for pretty much any situation we're dealing with, with our children. And in order to be able to teach those to your children, you have to be able to know them yourself. So sometimes we have to pause for a moment and make sure we're going in and we're studying the Word and we know what we're doing so that then as parents we can go and we can teach our children. And then we gradually increase as we continue on. When they're young, you teach them things that they can understand. You teach them some of the, the soft elements that they need, and then you increase that intensity, and you increase what you're teaching them as they grow older because you're getting them ready for adulthood. You're getting them ready to be a, a person of society and a person of the congregation that's going to continue to grow. Now, when you do this, and you're doing your role as the mother of training your child and teaching your child, you could rest assured that that can go on for generation after generation after generation, which is what God wants. We see an example of this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. It says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which first dwelt in thy grandmother Lois, and in thy mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded that in thee also. Paul is writing to Timothy here, and he's breaking down this generational element that we see that Lois taught Eunice how to be a good mother. And mother taught uh, Timothy how he should be a good person in society and how he should follow after God, and he taught him that faith. And it's this generations that go on, and then what did Timothy teach? Well, Timothy then went on to teach many, many people how to follow after God. So we can see that this, is, this can be passed down from generation to generation. One thing I thought that was interesting just in this verse 
is that the, the roles of the husband, the grandfather, and the father were not mentioned here in Timothy. It was only talking about the grandmother and the mother. And sometimes we may see that, that women will not take up the responsibility to lead their children, especially in a spiritual sense, because they don't have the husband's support. And what we can see here as an example is even if you don't have the husband's support, you still have the responsibility as the mother to train up a child in the way that they should go. You still have the responsibility to teach them that unfeigned faith, just as uh, Timothy's grandmother and mother taught him. Hopefully you would have the support of your husband, but even if you don't, that does not negate your responsibility. So we know that children are great imitators. And you can look up so many different um, psychology studies and different ways that children really learn. And I saw this quote, and it's that children are great imitators, so give them something great to imitate. When you think about mothers, I want you to think about for a second that you are who the children spend the most time with. You are the ones that they see the behavior, they see the attitude, they see what they should be imitating in you. So it's your responsibility, and not only your responsibility, but it is your responsibility to give them something great to imitate. So sometimes we need to take a hard look at ourselves, and if our children are acting a certain way, we may need to look in the mirror and see where they're learning that behavior from. It's not all the time, but sometimes they may be imitating ourselves. So we need to make sure that we follow after that, and we control what they are going to see and what they are going to imitate, and we control that by the activities that we allow them to be a part of, by the other friends we allow them to be a part of, maybe certain functions or certain organizations that we allow them to be a part of. You control how your child is going to behave and who they're going to hang out with, and it's your responsibility to make sure that they do it in a godly way. Now, another part of raising your children is disciplining your children, and it's disciplining them in a way that God wants. The reason we do that is Proverbs 22, verse 15. It says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from thee. It's natural for a child to, to be born in foolishness. They're going to mess up. They're going to test the boundaries. They're going to get away with as much as you allow them to get away with. And it's your role as a mother to make sure that you have this rod of correction to drive out that foolishness from their heart. So when we look at that, when we look at disciplining, you know the world is going to teach you that physical disciplining or spanking, like say with the rod of correction, is not the right thing to do anymore. That that causes psychological harms to your child and all that. And what we need to see is that God is smarter than the rest of the world. And if God tells you to do something, let's just follow after what God says. And that discipline needs to be motivated out of love. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, it says, He that spareth the rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Why would, Paul, why would Solomon say that in Proverbs? That he that loveth his son does not spare the rod. Well, because the verse we just read is that it's natural for a child to have foolishness. And if we're training them up to be an adult in society that can help other people and that can serve God all the days of their life, they're going to have to be trained that way. we got to get that foolishness out of there. So it's because we love them. We want them to follow after God. And it's not fun. You can ask all the parents around you that they don't like spanking their children. We don't enjoy it. I remember when I was a child, I heard the phrase from my mother that it hurts me worse than it hurts you. And I surely didn't understand that when I was a child. But I do now. I get it. It's not fun. We don't like to do it. However, we have to, be the big, we have to keep the bigger picture in mind. And we are training them up in the way they should go. We want them to follow after God. And sometimes that means correcting them. A lot of times that means correcting them. We also have to remember that their soul is in danger. If we don't do this, 
were really risking their soul. If you look over in Proverbs 23, verse 13, it says, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shall deliver his soul from hell. So mothers, when you have that time, when you need to discipline your children, keep this in mind, that you are trying to deliver their soul from hell. And it's up to you to drive out that foolishness from their heart. If we look over in Proverbs 19, verse 18, it says, Chasten thou son, while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. You only have a certain window of time that you really have a lot of influence over them and control of their behavior and their attitude. And it's up to you to use that time wisely. So it talks about in Proverbs to chase them while there's hope. You have hope when you have control. You know, I've heard it said before that parents are either going to discipline their children at home or the law is going to discipline them later. And it's up to you to teach them that we all have certain boundaries and we all have authorities that we need to follow after. And ultimately, the authority is after God. They learn that by following after your authority. If you let them get away with anything they want to get away with just because they're crying and they don't want to get a spanking, then ultimately you're losing out on that hope that you have to, to send them in the corrective way that they need to be corrected with. If we look at Proverbs 29, verse 15, it says, The rod and the reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. You know, we've all seen many mothers, and we, we've witnessed this many times, who continually put more stress and more stress on themselves simply because they won't correct their children. Uh, I have certain uh, women in my family that I've seen this. They let their children run and do whatever they want. And they're so stressed out, and they're so tired, and all it really takes is the children want to be corrected. They may not know it, but they want to be corrected. They want to, your love and attention. And sometimes they're acting out just because of that. They don't think they have your love and attention. And when you don't correct them, you don't follow after. Just as it says in Proverbs, it says that child is going to bring you to shame. And I've seen many women in shame because they refuse to correct their children and keep them in line. And it happens all the time. And it's a whole lot of unnecessary stress. God gives you the formula as mothers to have a more peaceful life. And it's about raising your children and correcting them in the way that they should go. It's not going to happen overnight. This is going to be a long, long process, but God gives you the formula that you need. So when we recap and we look at the things that we've seen, we've looked at the roles of the virtuous woman first, we've looked at the roles of the wife, and we've looked at the roles of the husband. Let's recap it and look at some action steps. The first thing that you want to do is remember the things that we've studied. Go back here and read The Virtuous Woman, all of you. Look at the things in detail. There's a lot of different details about The Virtuous Woman that we didn't pull out that we easily could have. There's a lot more characteristics that you should want to apply to your life. So study about that. You know, remember that we've looked at the woman should guide the home. The woman should submit to your husband. Be encouraging to your husband. Don't be a contentious wife. And teach and discipline your children. If you want to improve as a wife, then spend more time with other godly women. And if you want to see how you can grow, look at the other godly women around you and see how they're hospitable. See how they raise their children. See how they show respect to their husbands. And then you can find these examples that you can follow as well. One other thing that you should be doing is setting spiritual goals. So as the woman of the family, what goals do you have to increase your spiritualness? How can you guide your family in a better way? How can you set certain things that you can achieve for your family, spiritually speaking? And finally, pray for wisdom, strength, and patience. 
And for the rest of us in this congregation, it is up to all of us to support our women and make sure that we can do what we can to help them in this journey. The stronger women we have, the stronger families we have. The stronger families we have, the stronger congregations, and ultimately a stronger kingdom. So remember that we can all be that guiding and shining light for the rest of the world to see, and we can spread the gospel to as many people as we can. So I pray that this study has been useful to you and beneficial. I hope that you've got something out of it for all of you, not just the women in the congregation, that you can look for. If there's anybody here that if you haven't followed after Christ and decided to submit to Him as we're called to do, submit your life to Christ and baptism, I'd encourage you to do that this evening. Or if there's anybody here that's struggling for any reason, you'd like the prayers of the church and like the assistance any way that we can, just come and have a seat on the front pew while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. Have thy own way, Lord, have thy own way, thou art the pawn.